Today's sermon I've entitled, Who is My Neighbor? Who is My Neighbor? And the passage that I'll be going through is Luke chapter 10, 25 through 37, and the New International Version. And uh, this is the story of the Good Samaritan, oftentimes it's called. It's a very popular, famous story. Um, and so let me pray for us um, before we get dive in. God, thank you for your word and thank you that uh, for the privilege and the ability uh, to come around the word and online um, through the internet. Um, even though we're not physically together, we're able to um, learn and receive and worship together and pray together and uh, receive your word together. And so may your spirit be among us, connecting us, connecting our hearts making us of one mind and one spirit, uh, but in the diversity of who we are um, and our backgrounds. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. So in Luke chapter 10, 25 through 37, an expert in the law comes um, and has a conversation with Jesus. And if you're familiar with the gospels, Jesus has many one-on-one -on -one conversations with people. And these conversations, I really love um, to follow these conversations and to study these conversations, these dialogues, because they give insight into uh, discipleship. Basically, how Jesus confronts the person um, at the core of the matter, at the heart of the issue. Like, what does it mean to follow God? What does it mean to be a believer? What does it mean to... Um, have eternal life like what must one do to have eternal life and in Jesus's response and uh, and the way that he uh, articulates salvation and faith and uh, living the good life living the kingdom life there's a lot of things for us to glean and Jesus being a masterful conversationalist you know if you uh, have insight into a person's soul and mind and you can read people's intention and motives, I'm very sure you could be a great conversationalist. And Jesus, being God, but also fully human, um, has these tools at his disposal, which is really cool and interesting. Um, but I'll start in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life. What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? The man is trying to trap Jesus and test Jesus, but then Jesus turns it around on him. What do you say? What do you, how do you read the law? Reading uh, once again, picking up in verse 27, he answered, the man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked, and who is my neighbor? Let's stop right here. Um, this man, uh, it says, was an expert of the law, and your Bible trans and other Bible translations, it might say a lawyer came up to him. But this man was not a lawyer as we understand lawyers today. 
but he was a leader in the temple, well-versed and studied in the law of Moses, perhaps a scribe or, and or a Pharisee. So he knew the law of Moses and was well-versed in the scriptures and an expert in interpreting the law of Moses and the application of the law of Moses as it was expressed through the religious tradition and rituals um, of the temple. And we, we talked about this a little bit last week. Um, but as a modern day lawyer today may do, this man, this, this expert of the law was trying to frame the law um, and the conversation within a certain parameter, right? Within certain parameters, within a specific narrative in, in order to build a case or to test or trap Jesus. He's setting a snare for Jesus, thinking he will stump Jesus and cause him to stumble or catch him in some sort of heresy or catch Jesus saying something wrong and unrighteous. But Jesus turns the tables. And the way that Jesus does this, first of all, is to ask a question, respond to a question with a question and says, well, how do you read the law? And what the man responds with is basically the great commandments, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so what he's quoting here, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, is what's known as the Shema, uh, which you can find in Deuteronomy 6, chapter 6, verse 4 through 5. That's called the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second part, the second half of the great commandments is love your neighbor as yourself. And we, you may recognize this as, quote unquote, the golden rule, right? Love your, love your neighbor as yourself. Love people as yourself. And this you can find um, in Leviticus 19.18. And this, this part, love your neighbor as yourself, is embedded in the whole, what's called the holiness collection in Leviticus uh, from Leviticus 17 through chapter 26. Um, but what's interesting is love your neighbor as yourself. When we look at loving your neighbor as yourself, we can look at as yourself in three different ways. And it's been taken by commentators three different ways. Um, grammatically, you can read them in the, these three ways. First, you can read it adverbially. In other words, love your neighbor as you love yourself. You love, we all love ourselves, so love your neighbor as much as you take care of yourself, as much as you want to preserve your own uh, well-being. Love your neighbors as you would do yourself, so that's adverbially. The second way you can approach as yourself is adjectively, which, which is love your neighbors only, right? Parentheses only, if they are like you. So that's more, that's more uh, uh, restrictive, right? That's more, um, more a closed circle, right? Love your neighbor only if they are like you. Love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and then third is explanatory. Love your neighbor who is like you, right? You should love your neighbor because your neighbor is like you. Right, these commandments were uh, set forth for the people in order to make uh, the people of God a separate people, like 
a, a distinct people. If you follow my commandments and my precepts, you demonstrate to the world that I am the one God and you are um, my, my followers, my people. Scripturally, what does it mean to love your neighbor? If you take the love your neighbor as yourself in Leviticus 19, 18, in and examine the scriptures around it, we can get more context. We can get more explanation for what it means to love neighbor, what God meant in telling his people, you should love your neighbor as yourself. So examining the scripture in Leviticus 19, 13, it says, you shall not defraud your neighbor. You shall not steal and you shall not keep for yourself the wages of a laborer until morning. 19, 15, you shall not render an unjust judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. With justice, you shall judge your neighbor. In 1916, you shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not profit by the blood of your neighbor, for I am Yahweh. Right? This means that love is not an emotion. We're not teenagers who are Twitter-pated and have a crush on one another and like, oh, love at first sight. I feel so Twitter-pated. Love in this context, loving your neighbor as yourself, is more than emotion, but refers to treating your neighbor justly, treating your neighbor fairly. But who is like you does not simply mean, love your neighbor who is like you does not simply mean who is of your same ethnicity and tribe? Because there's also in Leviticus um, contingencies for loving the foreigner, the immigrant, right? Who is like you and living among you? If you look at Leviticus 19.33, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So what we can glean from Leviticus 19.13 is that within love your neighbor as yourself or love your neighbor who is like you, right? It's inclusive of the foreigner who is living, the immigrant, the foreigner, who is living on the land among them as well. Love them as yourself, for you were once foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So there, even in the Leviticus, there is the sense of an expansion of kind of um, where the laws were meant for the people of Israel. There's an expansion of that, like, the boundaries of what it means to be a part of Israel and a neighbor to Israel um, is inclusive of the foreigner. But if we look at the New Testament biblical days in which we find Jesus is conversing um, with this expert of the law, we know that it was strongly tribal. The people were strongly tribal. There was hostility uh, between Jews of Judah and Galilee and Samaritans. And Samaritans considered themselves Jewish. They shared the same ancestry. But on the flip side of that, Orthodox Jews considered Samaritans not only heretical, but also a cer ceremonially unclean, right? 
they would have been, as, as in last week, our pastors last week, considered defiled, considered unclean. Um, in contrast, the priest and the Levite, which we'll learn about later in the story, were at the heart of temple worship. So according to Orthodox Jews, right, the priest and the Levite were the insiders in the temple worship, where Samaritans would actually be the people on the outside, not neighbor, who even, you know, in fact, if you touched a Samaritan, you were considered defiled and you would have to go through ritual cleansing. So let's read on. We left off with wanting to justify himself. The man asked Jesus, well, then who is my neighbor, right? The trap didn't work. Jesus flipped the script on him. So he's going to go and say, well, you don't know who is my neighbor. And uh, he says, Jesus tells him a story. Well, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he, when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But his wounds poured, uh, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to the inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. So what we see here is that Jesus himself uh, turns the table and frames the narrative, right? Frames the law in order to um, trap the man into responding um, that the Samaritan was the neighbor in this story. So the 17-mile stretch of, the Jer uh, of Jericho Road um, was 17 miles and it was a very dangerous road. It was steep, it was rocky. Um, there are a lot of thieves and robbers. Um, but if we look at it figuratively and imagine this Jericho road that this man is traveling on and has been beaten, um, it represents a road of suffering and injustice and oppression and exploitation. Anywhere where people are robbed of their self-worth and dignity where they are hurt and bullied and beaten, where they are ignored and passed over, even from receiving basic human need, needs and rights. The road to Jericho represents violence, where people are abused or beaten or shot in the streets. The road are the corner intersections and highway on-ramps where the homeless stand asking for money, for assistance, for us to even just pay attention and notice them because they're usually invisible. It is the city life, 
the urban life, the greater Seattle area where there are so many transplants moving in and so much hustle and bustle. And yet there is a very deep and real unmet hunger for true community. The road of Jericho, the 17 mile stretch, is this pandemic, the season of the pandemic we've all been on, where we've been stuck at home, where we've been separated from loved ones, where our children have not been able to play with other children or even go to school. And our longing for connection, our longing for relationship, for touch. The extroverts among us are just dying, right? We want to talk. We want to go to a party. We want to celebrate. We want to have barbecues with all of our neighbors and our friends and invite them over the road of Jericho. Right? It's the economic distress that many of us are under. The road of Jericho is the suffering that black and brown people are experiencing at a higher rate because of the systemic brokenness of our healthcare system or because black and brown people are disproportionately represented among front, uh, front of the line essential workers. Many of us have the privilege of working from home, right? We have jobs where we can work on our computer from home. Many of us are getting paid the same and have you know, been able to do that from home and stay safe and stay quarantined. But a lot of people, they can't say no to their job. They have to go. The grocery worker, right? The healthcare worker those in the restaurant business uh, who are servers, many of the essential workers are disproportionately brown and black people. And they're suffering. They're suffering financially, but they're also losing their lives. This is the road of Jericho. This is the 17 mile stretch of suffering. Com compassion closes the gap between alienation and isolation and suffering to intimacy, belonging, and mercy. Compassion brings those who are far apart closer together. The man asked the question, who is my neighbor? As if this was some tricky response, as if this would stump Jesus. But when we ask, who is my neighbor? What's behind that is really who, like, who do I not have to love? That's what the man is essentially asking. Does that make sense? Who is like me? And for this time for the religious leaders, this was very, this was a closed bounded set. In other words, there was a strong line for who was in and who was out who was clean and who was unclean, right? And so what the man is, you know, desperately thrusting at Jesus is, my name, tell me who my neighbor is. My neighbor is only the one who is like me, who is an Israelite like me, who is 
Jewish like me, who is maybe even part of the inner circle of elite learned scribes or religious leaders who understand the law, who have followed the law with their lives, who know what it means to be righteous and clean. Who is my neighbor means surely those neighbors out there, those people out there aren't my neighbor. You tell me who I, like, when you ask who is my neighbor, you're asking, what are the parameters? What are the parameters around that? And you're seeking to limit, right, what you have to do, who you have to be kind to. For this man, neighbor is attached to culture. Neighbor may be attached to language. Neighbor is attached to ethnicity. Neighbor is attached to religious worship, expression of worship. Only the people who are like me, who speak like me, who worship in the temple like me, who are clean like me. But Jesus is flipping the script on that, saying neighbor is not about externals. Once again, from last week, it's not about externals. Neighbors is actually about the heart. And in Jesus's conversation, he continues to do this. People come to test him. People come to ask him a question. But Jesus cuts to the core of the matter, the heart of the matter. It's about the heart. There's a very similar conversation Jesus has with the rich young ruler, if you remember, in Mark chapter 10. Ask the same question. What must I do, rabbi, teacher, to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus goes through the commandments. And the rich young ruler says, I've done all of these things for my youth. I've followed all the commandments. And Jesus says, one thing you still lack. This is what you have left to do. Go and sell all that you have. Give it to the poor and come follow me. And it says the man leaves sad because he was very, very wealthy. And so what Jesus does there is cut through all of the BS and the crap to the heart of the matter. It's not about just following these external commandments. It's not just about following the rules. But at the core of your heart is an inability to let go of your wealth, of your money, and follow God and love the poor. That's what you're holding on to. So for this person here, as he's asking, well, who is my neighbor? Jesus is confronting the BS and the externals. You're just trying to ask, what are the limits? You know, what is the bare minimum of what I get, who I have to love? Right? And Jesus is breaking through that bounded set, right? Breaking through the in and the out and saying, neighbor is about how you're treated. Neighbor is about compassion and love. Even the person who is most like you, right? The priest and the Levite, ones who are part of the temple, ones who are part of your elite religious crowd, they passed the man by. They passed the man by. But it was the dirty Samaritan 
who walks the extra mile, who even says, you know, later on, tell me, tell me what, how much money you have to spend to help this person and I'll, I'll repay you. He walks the extra mile. He gives the cloak off his back to help this man, to touch this man. And Jesus gets this lawyer, this uh, religious expert of the law to say, yes, it was the Samaritan who was the neighbor. It was the Samaritan who was the neighbor. And in fact, what the man is asking is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And who is my neighbor? But the way that Jesus answered it is through this, this story, which forces the man, when he says, it's the Samaritan who's my neighbor, saying that the Samaritan is my neighbor is, say, is putting yourself in the position of being the beaten and the broken on the side of the road. Right? So in that sense, the one, it's not who is my neighbor, yeah, who is the answer to who is my neighbor is the one who helped me, is the one who showed compassion on me, who's the one who loved me, who's the one who crossed all boundaries, all social mores, right? Whatever differences we had to love me. So in that sense, Jesus is, <laughs> by Jesus' story, he's saying, your neighbor is the one who treated you with love and compassion, treated you. That's who your neighbor is, the one you receive love and compassion from. Amen. So what is neighbor? What is neighbor? Neighbor is not just the person in your tribe, right? Is neighbor just the person in your tribe? Who is your tribe? You, they say birds of a flat feather flock together, right? Who are the birds of your feather? And who are those not in your tribe? And these days we could say, are you red or are you blue? Are you Republican or are you Democrat? That could be tribe. And it seems like that's one of the strongest delineations these days. Who is in your tribe? They say Sunday morning, 11 a.m. on Sunday morning is the most segregated time in America. And I believe that this is still true, right? We wonder, the churches that we go to, the people we have small groups with, our closest friends, are they of the same ethnicity? Are they of the same social economic background, right? And why? Why are our churches, you know, all white or all Asian or all this or that? Why aren't there more diverse and multi-ethnic churches around us? Neighbors, neighbor is not just those in closest proximity, right? Our neighbors, our actual people who live in our community, our neighborhood, the houses around us. They're not just the ones who are in the closest proximity or the ones most accessible to us. Sometimes you experience your neighbor on the long and steep and treacherous road, right, to Jericho, where there are many obstacles, 
to getting to that person. The terrain is rough and there is a risk in making that connection. In the context of the Torah and God's heart for the world, neighbor is the immigrant and the refugee, the, the foreigner who's been living in this land alongside us, living, working, dreaming, raising their children, having hopes for their children. That's our neighbor, the world that has come to our doorstep. Amen. Neighbor is the one who is suffering within, before you, within your purview, within your social influence, within uh, your eyesight. And the one who extends a hand to you in your suffering. Once again, we're not always the givers, right? We're not always the ones who have the power and helping people. Sometimes it's allowing other people to help us and to reach out to us. That's your neighbor, the one who's loving you, trying to love you. Are you resisting people loving you or helping you or wanting to be in your life? Neighbor is the one who comes from a different home upbringing, speaks a different language, was raised within a different culture, was born in a different generation, listens to different music, wears different clothes, makes a different amount of money, is in a different tax bracket, who eats different food. Compassion closes the gap. When we have compassion, when our heart breaks and we get rid of the externals that we put as obstacles before people, we're able to connect much better. Because a soft heart closes that gap that separates us from our neighbor. It closes the gap between alienation and isolation and suffering and turns it into intimacy, belonging, and mercy. Compassion brings those who are far apart closer together, the space between. And it's no wonder, right? It's no wonder that the love of God and in Leviticus, the commands of God are attached to justice, right? Part of loving neighbor is to act justly towards our neighbors. Like our righteousness is connected to justice and fairness, right? And that, all of that is connected to the compassionate heart of God. And that's connected our willingness to step into and have the heart of God the way that a father has a heart for all of his children. Our hearts need to begin to break and be vulnerable, right? To be wholehearted, vulnerable people. Because when we open our hearts and are vulnerable, we're able to lament, right? And we cannot lament without God and God's presence. Right? God allows us have to have his heart. We can't do it on our own, right? It's natural. I think it's natural for us to 
to love only the people that it's comfortable for us to love, that we're used to loving, that it's safe to love. But when we open our hearts to God's heart, who's breaking for all people in the world, that expands um, the parameters of who is our neighbor and who we're called to love. Amen. And also on the flip side of that, as we're vulnerable and open, we are able to receive love from the other person. We are able to receive help from the other person because it's two-way, right? Relationship is two-way. It takes two to tango. The renewed dream is for people in North Linwood and beyond to experience the grace and mercy of God and to be renewed by God and transformed by God. We believe we are given to in order to give away. And so we will strive to love and serve our neighbors in tangible ways and to be served by neighbor. I should say, we strive to be neighbor. We are relational and authentic, open, vulnerable community where everyone belongs. We want to be passionate about justice and mercy with a heart for the marginalized, the refugee and the immigrant, the stranger and foreigner in our midst. Some of us are the stranger and the foreigner. It's not just we're doing this for the others out there. We are the stranger and the foreigner and we are part of this community. We are, we strive to be a community that values diversity. We desire to be multi-ethnic, intergenerational. We encourage the diversity of backgrounds within our leadership. What makes us better is differences. What makes us stronger is differences, right? What makes us greater and more powerful, more receptive to the power of the Holy Spirit at work is when our boundaries of what it is to be neighbor are expanded. Our table is made wider and greater to include more people. And the more people we have at the table, the better the meal is. Amen? We don't just have bread and mashed potatoes and steak at this table. We're going to expand the table. Man, we want spicy food, right? We want tamales. We want habanero sauce. We want rice and kimchi. We want, uh, <laughs> we want duck. We want, I don't know, you call it out, whatever food is out there. We want more and more at the table because the more there is at the table, the more our neighbors, the more neighbors that are bringing their food to the potluck of the kingdom of heaven, the better the feast is going to be, amen? And the better we are for it. Even if you don't eat spicy food, if your tongue is just used to one thing, even if you've just eaten meatloaf, and mac and cheese for most of your life. God wants to expand your palate. God wants you to taste different foods because it's good for you. Not just what you can do for other people and strangers out there, 
right? The legal expert was the man on the side of the road. And the Samaritan was the one who gave. The other was the one who gave. It's also what we can gain from other. Amen? Not, what, not just simply what we can give to those others, but how we can grow because the other has given to us, and that's what we want to be about at Renew. That other people and other voices have the same claim to this family. We are all kin. There's kinship. And we can sharpen one another in our otherness. And we can be a fuller expression of the church as a witness and testimony of connection, of radical hospitality and connection in the world out there.